Hello, welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susan Lee-Trivon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well and might even generate better numbers. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lisa Lloyd. Lisa, you're very welcome back to Life Beyond the Numbers. I'm honoured to be here in a return capacity. (laughs) It's brilliant. And one of the reasons I've asked you to come back is when we spoke the last time, we briefly touched on imagination. And something you said about imagination really stood out for me because you said it was our most misused resource. And I'd love to explore that further with you today, Lisa. Fab. Well, you know what? You're the first person who's actually picked up. I use that phrase quite a lot because it's so true. The first person who's think he's picked up on that. But if you think about our imagination, we use that all the time to problem solve. Our imagination is really, really critical because if we didn't have an imagination, we can't possibly think about what something could look like or feel like. Um, in the future to be different to what it is now but when our emotional arousal is high so when we're feeling stressed or anxious it has a really big impact on our imagination and it shuts our imagination down and we end up then focusing on the negative stuff so you know when we end up it's all doom and gloom it's like very much black and white thinking and it's it that comes off the back of high emotional arousal so that's when think about the numbers of people who are carrying around with them at the moment that level of stress um tension uncertainty worry about the future all the stuff going on it means that people are in in a place where their their imagination rather than having like a searchlight that you could look at this possibility or you could look at that possibility you can see lots of different options and then you can choose which one you think might be best your amygdala which is creating this high emotional arousal basically almost has a spotlight now think about a little torch which just focuses on the problem. And if it's focusing on the problem, which is quite right, if you're in a sense of danger, you don't want to be distracted by all this other stuff going on. But if you're just focusing on the problem, you can't see anything but the problem. And then we end up just thinking, that's it, we're, we're just stuck with this, we can't see any other way out. And it, it, and it can only get worse. Wow. So our imagination is still working but it's almost holding us hostage with this spotlight as opposed to, I think of a lighthouse or something with the big searchlight that you can see forever or the horizon, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know yourself when you've been, if you're struggling with working on something and you're really trying to think about how to put something across or remember a fact or something, and you really try hard and you just doesn't come to you because you're trying so hard and then you, it'd be in the shower or it'd be like in the middle of the night when you're not thinking about it. You haven't got the pressure on. 
it suddenly comes to you because your mind opens up. And I think it's really important to get this whole notion of being aware of what our imagination is doing to us because it really impacts on our mindset. So it changes where we're at now to a place where we think, are there possibilities? Is this going to be okay? Can I make a difference? Or am I just stuck in a situation, stuck with where I'm at, with what I've got, and, and that's it? So I think we have to understand, actually, the power of imagination is, is a, a big factor in what drives our mindset. So what's the difference between imagination and thinking? Well, our imagination is very much emotionally driven. So, for example, you, you know that I've broken my ankle. <laughs> And when I was on the mountainside and it was clear I wasn't going to get off the mountain on my own, my children were with me and my husband. And a lot of people said afterwards, they must have been really, really scared because it wasn't an ideal situation. I said, actually, they were delighted by the whole situation because of the helicopters coming and it was just so exciting for them. But it was very much an emotional response what was happening in that moment. And it was just raw. It was there. And obviously it's guided my response and my husband's response in terms of shaping them. But in terms of how we think about stuff, thinking requires our prefrontal cortex. It requires that clever bit of our brain, which only works well when our emotional arousal is low. So if you think about a bucket, and it's filling up with emotional arousal, our capacity to think clearly goes out the window. We just don't have the capacity for it. And that's sensible if you think about emotional arousal, it's all about fight, flight, freeze. It's all about action. You don't want your brain to be thinking about the pros and cons of different ways of escaping from danger. You just want to do something. So I think when we're looking at the ability to think, we need low emotional arousal. We need to be able to see different options. I say to people, think about, you know, what's the evidence for something rather than what's going on in your imagination. And you just need to look and have a much broader perspective. Whereas our imagination can be really helpful to help inform thinking, or it can be a real barrier to that thinking, depending on the state of our emotional arousal. Amazing. So I'm at work or in a workplace and I'm in a meeting and I feel like I'm getting attacked Mm. and I can't think then. Mm. The ability to think goes out the window. Yeah. You know, in that moment of feeling like you're being attacked, your heart rate would be up. You're feeling more tense. Your body is going into that fight, flight, freeze state because you're feeling under attack. And the, the skill in that moment is to, I mean, variety of things calm your physical responses down by doing things like breathing exercises, breathing out for longer than you breathe in. Some people clench their fists under the desk and then release them because you release your muscles and they always feel more relaxed afterwards. And also, to once you've got your emotional arousal low enough to engage your uh, cognitive brain to actually start to reframe and think, actually, it's not necessarily an attack on me. Maybe they're just attacking a whole department or maybe this isn't just about me. Maybe this person just having a really bad day. So you start to see, but that's again, about opening up that light to see other options rather than this is all about me. So there really is individual choice, but also responsibility. Massively. I always say to people and they think I'm slightly crazy and that I'm doing this this is more aimed at children but actually it's not when we give our amygdala a name and I always think of it it's like a little security officer who's scanning the environment thinking is this going to be dangerous or not 
give that little security officer a name because you it helps you use your observing self to step outside of what's going on and be able to challenge and then make choices. So when we just hear our inner voice, you know, classic, like I'm going to have a really awful meeting with my manager or the manager who attacked me last time, or I'm going to go do some a big presentation or public speaking or whatever it might be. And you have this inner voice saying, it's going to be awful. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. And it just plays a, like a loop on how terrible it's going to be because your emotional arousal is high. We need to be able to step back and consciously think, that's not me. That's my little security officer trying to keep me safe and say, actually, you know what? It'd be a lot easier today if you just didn't do any of that. <laughs> so just stay away from it <laughs> rather than putting yourself in that situation because it could all go terribly wrong. The problem with that is that because it's got your emotional arousal high, it's you're focusing on the negative. As soon as you're in that meeting with that manager or as soon as you're doing, doing your presentation, your security officer is hypervigilant, scanning the environment, looking for any evidence that it was right. And that's the problem, because then it'll find something, you know, someone will just look away from you. Oh, well, that's evidence. They don't, they're not interested in listening to me. And it suddenly starts, it, it really reinforces that negative loop. So if we're able to step outside of ourselves and actually be able to look and think, actually, my amygdala, Bob, and just to say, Bob, for goodness sake, that's how you're thinking about it. But actually, my evidence is last time I did this, it was fine. Or actually, last time this happened, or um, this time is going to be different because, or it doesn't matter if I'm not perfect because you can start to have a conversation. And I tell people to get really cross with their bobs because you have that sense of actually you are in control. You choose whether to listen to that inner voice, to what Bob's saying, or to say, I get your concern, but actually I'm going to be tackling this differently and I'm going to stay in control for this one. I love, I love it and I love Bob as well. <laughs> but I, if we think about the manager in that scenario, so you're prepared for this meeting with the manager and you think mm. it's going to go horribly wrong because it mm. did the other time. You're also perhaps thinking that that all lies with the manager and not yourself. And, yeah. and you can't control for anything the manager is going to do. So uh, it's back again to having a choice that you can choose how to behave and yeah. take responsibility for your actions because they're the only actions you have any control over. Precisely. And I think when we're aware of those actions, it gives us a huge, it opens a door into how we can make things different. So what people don't realise is that we operate based on patterns. So you will go into a meeting with your manager, you'll, you'll be expecting what, is going to happen before you've even opened the door or turned on Zoom. So you're anticipating a particular scenario to play out. And because you're anticipating that, you will end up behaving in a particular way that reinforces that. So if you see someone you like as you're walking down the street, it'll be big smiles and it'll be high and everything else. If you see someone you really dislike, you might grumble at a hello or might just blank them. And of course, as soon as you do that, that directly impacts on how they respond to you. So I always say to people, if you want to change a pattern, it has to start with you. You have to firstly visualize how it could be different. So, you know, at the moment, your brain is expecting you to go into the situation and your imagination is telling you it's going to play out like this because this is how it always does it. So if you want to change that, 
visualize how you're going to be different. So visualize yourself and, and literally close your eyes and kind of feel it and imagine what you can hear and imagine um, what you're saying and how you're saying in your body language, like all the detail to think, how am I making this different? How am I feeling in control? How am I feeling calm? How am I delivering the message? What words am I using? So literally every little detail, what am I doing in my face? So rather than kind of growling this person or just looking tense, I'm actually going to smile and I'm going to ask them a question that I would never normally ask. It doesn't matter what it is, but I'm going to change the pattern because as soon as you do something different, they can't respond in their normal way because the pattern has been disrupted. Fantastic. Now, most people I know, well, not most, that's maybe unfair, but a lot of people would say, oh, but I can't visualize. I don't know what that means. Yes. And a lot of people say that to me. And I'll say, right, well, in that case, simply close your eyes now and imagine your front door. Can you picture what the, your front door looks like? They're like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Right, we can visualize then. So I'm going to be doing some work this afternoon for someone who's got an exam tomorrow and they're really anxious about it. They had an exam couple of weeks ago and it really didn't go according to plan at all so really anxious about tomorrow's so I'm going to be taking through a visualization which is you know close your eyes and imagine yourself sitting at that table and imagine how the chair feels and it takes time to imagine how your shoulders are relaxed and what your breathing is doing make sure your breathing is longer as you exhale and just imagine um, holding a pencil in your hand how all the pen how does that feel or imagine a keyboard feel the, the keys under your fingers and imagine your brain just having time just to be in that moment and be aware of feeling in control because then the information can come back to you and then you can tap into everything you know and only and, and go through the little strategies like that but it's, it's breaking it down and we can all do that when I talk about visualization it's literally just picture yourself doing it but doing it well and it being received well it going well and people watch rugby or people watch football and people are about to go for that goal um, and it's the all-important goal. They don't just charge up to the ball. They take time. And they will look from the ball to the goal and back again, and they will be visualising, and they will have done that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So as soon as they take that first step forward, they fall into that pattern, and it ends up hopefully doing what it should be doing. Yeah, and I watched Celebrity MasterChef recently. I didn't know that any of those people were celebrities, but that's besides the point, you know? <laughs> But what was fascinating was in the first round or the second round, one of the contestants said, I'm imagining myself with that trophy mm. and that contestant won. Yeah. And I just thought it was she was the only one that said that, that this yeah. is what I do. I visualize myself holding the MasterChef trophy. Yes. And yeah. I was watching to see would she win? Yes. Yeah. And I think it, and it's so powerful. And that's where we have to. We have to really tap into how powerful our imagination is. When we were in Scotland, so I love doing slightly crazy outdoor pursuit stuff. And my daughter, luckily, was taking off to me. So she was, we're standing on the edge of some cliffs and there was, you know, cliff jumping, going to the sea and all that sort of stuff. And she was understandably really anxious about doing it. And she's like, yeah, but what if, what if? And her imagination was going through every single, and that's good in a sense, because it's about also assessing risk. But when we'd gone through all the risk and I proved to her all the, the fact that all her worries around the risk were OK. The other bit was just her imagination saying, nah, 
don't don't want to do this but she actually really wanted to do it and she was almost having this internal conflict with like I want to do it but 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 and we have that so much of the time so when I could just help her understand rather than focusing on the what ifs it's like imagine just stepping off the side of your um, bed or if you're climbing frame or if you're trampoline or something and you love that and imagine you love water and you love swimming and you've just been swimming around underneath that water that we're about to go into and it'll be like flying and you'll be so proud of yourself afterwards and we were literally doing that she's like oh yes and then she just did it she's like oh that was the most amazing experience ever and then she just couldn't stop her doing it but it was that sense of actually focus on how amazing something's going to be how good it's going to be how good you're going to feel about yourself what other people's response is going to be rather than just focusing you know inwards I think it's really interesting how if you're when you're focusing on problems people almost they're almost lowering their head and they kind of the body language shrinks whereas when we're looking at possibilities and we're focusing on how positive they can be we open up. It's like looking up at the sky, you know, that blue sky thinking. It's kind of the, the possibilities are endless. They really are. And I mean, I've read that the, our brains don't know the difference between what we imagine and reality, that actually the, that power of imagining and bringing all your senses in is the same to us as if we've done it. Yeah. And I think that's why visualization is so important, because you are literally laying templates in your brain that you pattern match back to. So it doesn't matter that you haven't done something. If you have rehearsed it in your brain well enough, that's really using all your senses. You've immersed yourself. You're not just kind of saying, yeah, I can imagine myself doing that. But you've actually gone through the whole thing in detail. You lay a template in your brain that you'll then pattern match to as if you've done it. Hmm. And that's fascinating. Like, it really is, isn't well, it's it? Really, it's just really powerful because it means that that's what gets people through the next big thing. If they've got to go and do a massive presentation or a big interview or a big whatever, whatever, they can imagine themselves going through. And they might not be able to picture the room or the people or whatever. So you can use previous experience and think, okay, when I did this last time, although it's a different audience or it's a different topic or whatever, these are the bits that went, well, this is how it felt afterwards, or this is the re- uh, response I got from other people and focusing on all the positives and then hold on to that feeling and then imagine yourself in a new situation standing and doing the same thing. So you can literally take what's gone from before. It's almost like choosing what you put in your bag and I'm going to take all the good bits and I'm bringing those with me. That's great. And I'm leaving Bob behind. (laughs) Yeah, Bob can just get out the picture. (laughs) The tools in my toolkit or my my backpack are going to see me through. Exactly. So it's like, I mean, it's the key to freedom or thinking differently than using your imagination, like harnessing it for good. Absolutely. And if people struggle to use their imagination for the good, and I think some people either because their emotional arousal is high, so they're stuck in this kind of negative loop. So they need to focus on reducing emotional arousal, reducing the stress, whatever's causing that. But also just to talk to other people, just to get their perspective. And whether it's through emotional arousal or whether some people are just kind of the glass half empty people, that's just how they are. That's just who they are. Maybe that's just how they've been brought up, whatever. It's they're the glass half empty people who 
are stuck in that way of thinking. So whether it's just who you are or emotional arousal, actually just talking to other people, using their lights, using their perspective, kind of gives you an alternative option to where you are because you, otherwise you just feel stuck and you can't move on. So when we use our imagination world, the possibilities are endless. But if we are in that moment of just being able to focus on the problem, we need to be able to speak to other people to say, what about this and what about that? But you need to choose your people well as, as well, because there are too many times when you hear someone saying how awful something is. And then the people they talk to will say, yeah, it's absolutely terrible. And everyone's in this kind of doom and gloom place of just saying and reinforcing how terrible a situation is. You need to be careful to choose the people who are going to be helpful. So not the people who say, oh, it's all going to be fine. Because again, that's not helpful. It's, it's like, well, it's not. You need someone to actually just say, but have you thought about it like this? Or what about that? And it's not about giving you the answers, but it's just the more people you speak to or the more possibilities you look at, it opens up your imagination to be able to see, well, maybe it's not just so linear. Maybe it's not just so black and white. Maybe there is a bit of grey. We could Maybe there's something else that potentially could happen. And as soon as you have that like little chink of light, our amygdala could potentially then be looking for that in that situation rather than just focusing on the problem. So, I mean, it's it's curiosity, mm. it's open-mindedness, Absolutely. it's growth, learning, it's it's all of that yeah. great stuff yeah. that I guess it's, it's making your body your friend to yeah. relax yourself enough to let in like that chink of light that you say. And Absolutely. Being receptive yeah. to good yeah. stuff. And I think once, you know, we just said about making your body your friend. I think when people understand how their brain works and why it works as it does, it kind of normalizes what's happening and that empowers people. So I always talk to people about what's going on in the brain because otherwise there's a bit of mystery and it's almost like oh, I haven't got control over this or this is always going to happen. I can't do anything about it. But as soon as people understand why, and that your amygdala creating this panicky response is actually just trying to do it to protect you. It's not an evil thing you want to squash out of your life. It's like actually you just need to reassure it that you're okay. I think as soon as we understand what's going on, it gives us a way in to do things differently and to manage it better rather than your amygdala being the driving seat. You can detect and, and realize that Bob is waking up, he's been chilling out, and actually he's now a bit more alert he doesn't need to be alert but he's on the lookout he's thinking about x y or z you know his imagination is focusing on all, all these things that aren't helpful for me so actually I can just say you know what I've got this covered it's it's fine but you need to be you need to be happy to take control of that rather than oh it's Bob's chatting again I've got to just tune into him it's a very mm -hmm. conscious choice that people have to make yeah, that's and it's it's developing that self-awareness. It's recognizing that actually the voice is Bob. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the bit that people often miss is those is those early warning signs. I always picture um like a scale from a kind of the chilled out end where you are in complete control, your brain's working really, really well, and Bob is asleep or he's sitting back in his chair and a biscuit and a cup of tea or whatever and and as soon as he starts to kind of get 
cotton on to something that could be a threat. It could be you just heard someone's name who you had conflict with before or something's happened. There's that little pattern match and Bob is now alert and he's looking around. And as soon as he becomes alert, you will have a physical response. So there will be something going on in your body. Some people it's tension around their shoulders or it might be their heart rate increases. Whatever your sign is, it's about noticing that. Because that at that point, your prefrontal cortex is still working really, really well. And that's the point you can reassure Bob. Well, either you can say, thanks, Bob. Actually, yeah, this is a pretty dangerous situation. Or actually, this is fine. Um, you can chill out again. I'm, I've got this. I'm in control. But if you miss those early warning signs and he gets the point of standing up, jumping up and down and being very, very dominant, by that point, it's really shut down your ability to use your imagination in a positive way. Because you're at that point, you are just glass half empty, black and white thinking, spotlight on the problem. Yeah, danger, danger. Yeah, yeah, danger, danger. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's when you need either the time to calm Bob down so he gets exhausted or to go and speak to someone else to get them to, to give, give some alternative options. Mm. And while you're talking there, I was thinking as well about as actually using your imagination in is, is empathy. If yeah. you if you're yeah. trying to understand how somebody else is feeling or what yeah. they're thinking, I mean, you never really know, but there's imagination in that as well. Yeah, yeah. and I think you know that's always an interesting one because for empathy, you need to imagine standing in that person's shoes. So how would that feel? But I think we still end up looking through our own lens. So it can be like, oh, if I was in that situation, I was at a funeral earlier this week, and I was. So I'm thinking, gosh, you know, if I was in, in the deceased partner's shoes, how awful that would be feeling. Like how, how could you possibly be going through this right now? But actually, that's me thinking, still using my imagination to think what it must be like for her. So I think it really informs empathy because it enables us to step outside of ourselves into someone else's shoes. But we still have to be very mindful that our imagination is our imagination and someone else can look at the situation entirely differently. I've got a screensaver on my um, on my laptop, and I have a, a I have lovely beaches that look like they're from the Maldives or something, like desert islands, and that's always the kind of thing I look at and it keeps me going. But you know what? If you say to someone, imagine being on a little tiny desert island, it's almost like any room for you and a palm tree and a and a hammock and a cocktail, and imagine that's where you're stuck for for a period of time. Some people might just think, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be sunburnt. I'm going to be dehydrated. There are sharks circling. What if I run out of food? And they could end up thinking about that. Whereas other people are like, oh, my word, I've got no children. I've got no, you know, no distractions. I can sit in the hammock, read my book and drink my cocktail. And this is just going to be bliss. So we all can look exactly the same thing and perceive it differently, depending on our, our own personal lens. So imagination is really good, but we still have to check out how other people see things. But that's why it's really good talking to other people because we gain different insights, different perspectives. That's brilliant. I was certainly enjoying the bliss of the, <laughs> of the island. <laughs> <laughs> looking at the sky and imagining reading books. And, exactly. Yeah. exactly. No, it's really funny. But the other thing I think about in imagination is we think it's kid stuff. Mm. No, you kind of think imagination is something that is it, you know, somebody needs to write a kid's book 
mm. or write a movie you don't really think of it as a tool mm. in your day-to-day life I know I think you're right I mean imagination is just so associated with children and play and so on and it but it's so important for us it's an innate resource so we have our imagination and we almost we become less imaginative over time in my garden if I had something laying around like a piece of wood or something my eight-year-old summer come up and it would suddenly become a rocket or it'd become a part of a flagpole or whatever it might be whereas I'd just be looking at that as the functional piece of wood that it's supposed to be and I think when we can tap into our imaginations, we realise what potential there is. For our 40th birthday, my, my, my husband's years ago, we went to paintballing because I'd never done paintballing before. And I really loved the idea of just charging around, shooting all my friends with paint. And, and it was great fun because we all left our sensible selves, who are these work people, who are parents, who are this, that and the other. We left that and we just became, it's like becoming a kid again. We were playing war games and where, you know, you suddenly get taken over and all consumed by this wonderful experience, which is all about using your imagination. And everyone talks about that occasion and the need to be able to do stuff where you can just immerse yourself in just having fun and use your imagination to do something completely different to the routine that we find ourselves in now. Because our days do tend to be very routine based and based around lots of predictable patterns and so on. And as soon as you can go and do something different, it's, it's fantastic. Which is why people get excited about planning holidays or planning trips because they're imagining it's going to be different to where we are now. So that is so powerful to bring that into your work. Because actually, we can mindlessly go and do a routine task over and over again and never imagine that there might be a better way of doing it or a different way of doing it and actually make it even fun. Yes. And when I'm working with companies, looking at their culture and and, and it's really interesting, when we do some work with Places are very, they're very intense, like maybe banking or something. It's all very target driven. It's very, very, very intense. And they kind of know that they expect that. But when we talked about the fact that if you just could step back and have a bit of fun and they'll have, you know, maybe have a room where they've got a table tennis table or something and they can just go and chill out or they just have social lunches or they'll just go they have a policy where they're going to get away from their desks and go for a walk and even during lockdown they'll still do it wherever they live and they just chat to each other on the phone or whatever it might be it's about being able to create space because as soon as you have space that's where people can get creative and we know that in order to survive and well to flourish we don't just be hanging on by our fingernails we want to be leading the way in whatever industry we're in we need to be innovative we need to be creative we need to be thinking outside the box we need to be looking at things differently rather than doing everything the same as we've done it before same as everyone else what do we do to make our mark but that requires imagination and what some leaders don't get is they just push 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 to try and reach their targets but they're reducing everyone's imagination right down to just being that functional do what do day in day out but as soon as you give people space and you have that moment like standing in the shower when you have this really great idea, that is when you have that ability to have those ping moments. And that's why I love things like work-life integration, where you're not having, you know, you get rid of that notion of having to be on at these hours and 
Because actually, if I'm sitting at my laptop and I just can't get into something, I could sit here for another five hours just because I'm supposed to, because that's what my employer wants me to do. And that's a classic sign of presenteeism. And we're seeing a lot of that at the moment. Or I could say, you know what? I actually need to get up and I need to go. I'm going to go on my bike for half an hour or I'm just going to go sit in my garden, have a cup of tea or I'm going to go and I don't know, whatever it might be. I'm just going to go and switch off because then you just give your brain a break. You just give everything a break and then you can come back and then you look at it differently. Brilliant. So for everyone listening, it's just so simple. It really is. And that's where you look for your evidence as well. And you go and talk to your boss who probably needs the same too. Yeah. And it's also about trust, isn't it, Lisa? It's trusting each other that you're still going to get the work done. Yeah, it comes from trust. Leaders and managers have to trust their workforce. But also we have to take individual accountability and individual responsibility for making the right choices for ourselves so I have worked with so many people who like yeah I know I need to I need some more breaks I need to do this I need to do that and then when it comes to like oh I haven't got time I might just gather the evidence sit you know just stay at your desk for the whole day with your head down do what you normally do and just see how productive you are and then have a day where you don't think you've got time but you're going to make time to have really really short breaks we're not talking about taking an hour off each time it could just be I'm going to go and have five minutes walking outside. Outside's great because being confined by four walls is not great for your imagination. So get outside and then see how productive you are when you come back to your desk. And then at the end of the day, make a judgment. And that's the information you need to keep stuck on your wall to remind you. That's the information you need to pass to your manager and say, this is why I'm better when I work like this and your teammates and anyone else. But that comes down to individual responsibility I've stopped working Friday to try and get on top of some of my other stuff going on in um, in life, just being busy. And it's really tempting when someone says, oh, can you can you just fit this meeting in? Or can you just do this and can you just do that? And it's really tempting to say, oh, yeah, just this once. But there'll always be just this once for a different reason every week. And it's like, actually, no, that is my day. And as soon as I have the confidence to say that, I know I'm looking after me. And actually, other people respect that. And if they didn't, they're not the people I should be working with anyway. <laughs> exactly. Boundaries, knowing yeah. your boundaries yeah. and how to keep them yeah. and feeling comfortable with it. Yeah. yeah. And you can imagine them as being physical as well, yeah. just to help you. Or you can put the time in your diary, which makes it physical. Absolutely. And I think when people, again, as people knowing themselves well, you know, you know what you need in order to work well. So whether it's about having uh, alarms um, that go off every hour on your phone, whether it's some people have a post-it note, something stuck to their water bottles, every time they pick up their water bottle, they stand up and drink their water. Some people, going back to your imagination, they will have a photo of themselves on holiday or somewhere that makes them really happy or something on their desk, because every time they look at that, their brain's pattern matching back to how good that felt. And it's all these little cues you can use, whether it's music, sense, it doesn't matter what it is, but that sense of allowing your imagination just to go somewhere else, to pattern match to a positive experience, rather than I'm focusing on the spreadsheet and I've just got to keep looking at it until it all makes sense, which is just, it's just counterproductive. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've, I've often done that. <laughs> yeah, but to you, it would make sense in the end, and to me, it wouldn't. <laughs> 
for me, it's play and imagination as well. Yeah. It would come into, ooh, how can I find this yeah, way exactly. to work? Exactly. <laughs> Lisa, that's been just brilliant. Thank you so much. And my imagination has been firing during this conversation. How can people connect with you? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn, but the easiest thing to do is go to my uh, website, www.itstimeforchange.co.uk. And there's a contact me page and you can just, I've got a blog on there and people can just find out a bit more about the sort of thing I do. But I just love having conversations with people and they say, I'm thinking about doing this or I'm not sure about that. And just talking to people, it's not about going and doing big pieces of work. It's just about, it's about getting your imagination going. I love seeing people's imaginations and their eyes light up and they're just, this, there's no end to the potential. And I think when people get that, it's like, oh, just keep going with that, keep going. And yeah, and then just look for ways to make that possible. Brilliant. Well, I'll put your details in the show notes, Lisa. Thank you so much for coming back and having a chat with us. And I'm sure we'll do it again sometime. Pleasure. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too. I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work and the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from or questions for me, please drop a line to Susan at beyond-thenumbers.com. And finally, please consider leaving a review.